Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He rivals now super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon, by making his third appearance on the show. Fourth, if you know the behind the scenes where we actually dropped Sharp Guts episode, which was going to be a good one. But hey, we, we've made it past that. So he's back on the show. Today's guest is a two-time CIS bronze medalist as a coach. He's won two national gold medals, two silvers. He was just with our youth national team, and he's the big shooter at Club 204 in Winnipeg. Please welcome back to the show, Jared Brown. Jared, thanks for doing this again, man. No problem. I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the missing episode. That was uh, one that was uh, probably would have been maybe the, the most uh, listened to episode ever, we can assume, uh, but uh, did not work out. And back again, uh, like I said, third officially, fourth unofficially. You know, Garrett and I have worked over a few bugs, but sadly, you're not the only episode that's uh, just been lost to the memories. But, uh, you know, it, it's just a good sign that you're back on it and we still have a friend in the show. So w- one thing I just wanted to put a bookend into is uh, we were so lucky to get the youth national team coaching staff, including you, uh, Coach Preston, Groenveld, David Hawkins. But uh, that was kind of jarring and you guys were all in the madness. I'm wondering, a- a- as you look back at the busy summer that was, how did that close out for you? Like, how did you enjoy that experience? Awesome opportunity. Uh, I think for most of the athletes, they hadn't been on a volleyball court too often, hadn't played a match in you know probably almost over a year, and the opportunity to just get the group together and to really prepare them for kind of post-secondary more than anything, I think, was probably the biggest thing. And I think if they would have not had that opportunity to get together in the summer and then go into these university gyms, it would have been really difficult for them. And, uh, you know, started off, there was a few hiccups, just I think with getting everybody together and, and some of the protocols that we had to go through with COVID, obviously. And, um, but for the most part, I think the guys were a really great group of guys and, and trained really hard. And, and some of those matches, the red and white, we got to play at the end, I think was kind of the perfect, uh, cherry on top. Though we, there might be some, uh, you know, maybe some confusion about who, how good my refing actually was. Uh, I got uh, stuck up on the stand for the last couple of games there. And I think a lot of that might come from uh, some of the coaching staff more than anything. Seems like whoever lost thought my repping wasn't up to par. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved uh, loved being a part of it and uh, really enjoyed getting to know all the players and the coaches. Yeah, I feel like the the young buck always has to be the one on the stand. And I remember I really didn't want to do it. I, I don't enjoy refing. I get so nervous, maybe I'm just a people pleaser and I don't want to like annoy somebody. But at Team O one year, our technical director, Jason Japan, is just like, Listen, uh, when I was on the national team and assistant coach was refereeing, I went to go complain. And he goes, yes, Jason, it was a bad call. Now, what are you going to do about it? Kind of flipping it on Jason. Be like, I was deliberately, I want to see if you're a mental and you're going to like break down or if you can overcome this. And I was like, oh, so even if I mess up, it's still on the athlete to overcome this. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a classic coach uh, referee trope. The uh, Yes, I missed that on purpose uh, idea, but. I can say, uh, honestly, I, I wasn't trying to miss anything on purpose, but might have uh, deployed the same strategy afterwards in discussions with uh, the athletes. So give me and some of the other club coaches some hope here. You get these top athletes in the gym. They've been off. There was a huge break. How long into the camp do you think that things started to click and it started to look like volleyball again? Because I know with all the coaching staff you guys had, you guys were managing load. It's not like you were playing like wash drills on the first day. But how soon with so many touches did you feel like the athletes started to get it back? So, you know, any, any high school or club coach listening can go like, oh, it's going to get better. Like this this pause we've had, uh, it's not the end of the world. These kids can bounce back. So interesting you say that. I think we had such a great staff of coaches. And with the six people, five of them you know, involved at the post-secondary youth sport level, I think what they saw from their athletes in the limited time that they had, things looked fairly normal for them because even those inc- incoming freshman guys, they played club kind of until that mid-March level, right? So I think their development, maybe they were a little bit rusty, but when they got back into the gym in the fall, things were pretty normal. Whereas for me, I had that short stint. We had kind of a month and a half, two months of training here in Manitoba. I knew it was going to be a little bit uglier just from what I had seen at the club level. So when we got together, I think those first few days, it was definitely a bit eye-opening for the, for the staff, kind of thinking, well, wow, this is this is a little bit rough. Like some of the guys here are 
you know, just maybe behind where we thought they'd be or just, you know, again, um, not having played for a while. But once we got through that, I would say the first week, once we got into the week two and once we got into some gameplay stuff, you saw some guys kind of come alive a little bit, right? And I think uh, for them, just that, that carrot of, okay, now we're playing six on six where you know, some guys, I know specifically like in Manitoba, for example, we could only have 10 guys on the court, right? When we were training, we weren't even allowed to have all 12. So now it's everybody's back in the same position. This looks like regular volleyball, I'm hitting against two blockers, you know, everything. There's no restrictions on our gameplay. You saw the level pick up. And I think once we got to that point and we got into kind of our first official, we're playing six on six where you're on that side, I'm on this side. Guys really uh, kind of took off from there. And, and you saw a lot of guys kind of come alive and I think really validated the fact that they should be uh, on that team. But yeah, I think, and the players admitted too, the first couple of days, I think it's just using some muscles they haven't used for a while and, and kind of the load. And I think the coaches, you know, one thing I was amazed with was how much detail, you know, Coach Hawkins and Kruger, and they were the ones kind of really handling, I think, a lot of the load stuff, uh, how much attention they put to that and making sure that we didn't burn anybody out uh, early on and then not have them available for the rest of the camp. Nice, nice. And I'm curious with your background, your expertise as being like a big team building guy, like when we talked to the guys uh, on the group episode, there was opportunities for like planned team building where you guys would watch like the senior team at the Olympics and there was stuff like that. But I imagine there was some organic stuff happening. And I'm curious from your background, when you get a group of, of athletes like that together who might be from the same province, but from rival clubs or they're from different provinces, how do you get them to mix? Because imagine the first day at mealtime, they're going to sit with who they know. But how do you get them by the last day, you know, making friends with somebody across the country or, you know, building a bridge with somebody that they've been across the net with their whole career? Yeah, it was it was interesting to watch it play out just because it was such a large group. And I think when you're in a situation where you have so many players, it's kind of like a football team, right? You know, I think you hear a lot of time, the O-line hangs out only with the O-line, right? The receivers hang out together because you have so many people they can go into that. Whereas if you have a team of 12, it's a little bit more difficult. Like you're saying, oh, the setters hang out together. It's only two guys, right? You're not really going to get a lot out of just being friends with one other guy. So in our meeting, in our meals, where everybody was kind of in this big, huge group, and we had sort of these long you know, tables where all the guys are there together, uh, you started to see some of that come together. And then just basically on where they were rooming, we had two floors of guys. Guys started kind of preparing up a little bit about who was, who was close to them and we were walking back and forth between the uh, where we were in the residence and where we were practicing and all those things. You see, all that time, guys starting to get, get to know each other a little bit. And um, by the end, you definitely had pockets of guys from all different provinces, right? And it's amazing how they all kind of find each other, like the quiet guys, the guys who, you know, they like maybe just kind of sitting back and uh, being the ones who like laughing and not telling as many stories. They kind of find a way to get together, right? guys that are a bit more outgoing they find each other and it's just sort of this social experiment with within a team it's kind of like a little mini mini uh, reality show of uh, you know kind of like a big brother style where all these guys found their similar person and i think absolutely there was the the club kind of all oh, we play club together or we're from the same province we already know each other but by the end you would you would never know who was from each place because they did kind of find their similar type personality within uh, within the squad and I think the coaching staff was very similar too, right? In that same way where there were six of us. And in the beginning, you kind of, maybe you spend a little bit more time with, with the guys that you know. And then, you know, you find out which guys like, which guys like going for coffee at a certain time, right? And they're the ones who branch off and spend that time together. And then which coaches maybe wake up a little bit earlier, which coaches, you know, like going for a walk, and which coaches, um, you know, like staying up a little bit later. And all those things kind of had a way of working itself out. Um, but I've never been a part of a volleyball team with 29 players before, right? Like that's a pretty unique, uh, unique situation. We had that many guys. So, um, yeah, it was neat to see it all play out though. And, and I think by the end of the day, they all got to know something about each other, uh, in one way or another. And they found kind of their, their closest, uh, allies as, as the kind of three weeks went on. And I know you're a big sports fan, and I'm glad you mentioned there was 29 dudes there. And and don't be wrong, I think you guys selected a heck of a group. But at that young age, there's still going to be some guys who are missed, right? So when you look back at like, uh, I think it's fascinating when you go back into like NFL drafts and you go down three years down the line. It's like, but at the time you didn't know. And those guys are coming out of college and they're older where you're dealing with like youth athletes. So I'm curious, how do you kind of 
plan the path of development for these athletes because there's i think very good stands out and sometimes very bad stands out but then there's like 80 percent of this gray thing in the middle so what would you say about like what's the next step for the athletes you did see and then for anybody who's listening who didn't make the cut this time what would you encourage them to say that like their pathway is not over either that just because you don't make the youth national team doesn't mean you won't pop up with the senior national team down the road right yeah, I think that's a great point. And if there is any athlete or a coach you know, or a parent or someone who's listening and kind of thinking maybe they should have been a part of their team or, you know, the athlete, we would love to see them represented, especially in this circumstance, athletes are going to be missed, right? When we were doing everything with online submission and, and there's there's a percentage of athletes who I think, even though we cast this broad net and we go to the provinces and there's things on social media, there's an athlete out there who didn't even know this program existed, right? Like they are, they're in some uh, bubble somewhere where they didn't even know that it was a thing. Whereas if they were at the club nationals, we might've walked by their court and saw them and, you know, they could have caught our eye and could have been selected that way. Right. So I think that's the first step is there's athletes out there who we didn't even see, we didn't even have a chance to evaluate them online. Then there's that second group of athletes who they submitted, but, just based on their circumstances, their video didn't look as good as somebody else's, right? So whether it was they didn't know how to edit it, um, you know, the quality, I, I can think specifically, there's one athlete who I know jumps off the top of my head. They submitted and it was like the content in the video looked like it was pretty good, but the actual quality of the video was so bad that we couldn't even properly evaluate it, right? Like there's those kind of guys. Um, so we know for sure that we didn't necessarily get every single player there just because they didn't all have a chance maybe necessarily to be seen right and then once we get into that group i think kind of the way we look at it is hey you look at the junior national team this summer so the guys who are just that one step above there's a handful of guys who are on that team who didn't play on the youth team last cycle right so we know like immediately right away in that next two years there's going to be some guys who who develop who are going to come out of the woodwork that we didn't see from before, right? And I think the best thing that probably will resonate with a lot of these athletes is we showed them that pyramid, right? And we showed them how things move along and how many athletes are in that base of that youth team, then how many less go to junior, right? And then how many go to kind of that next gen, you know, under 23, B team, Fishu kind of level, then how many go to the A team and then how many actually make it to the Olympics one day, right? And it's one of those things where right now we're in kind of an, an age class grouping, but obviously as you get older, there's not just your age anymore. There's the guys who are older than you. There's the guys who are younger than you. So there's the guys you're trying to take their spot and there's that next group who's trying to come from behind and, and steal that spot from you. So I think Bible Canada and the coaches have done a great job of explaining to the guys that Hey, you're in the system now, and it's now your job to stay in the system, right? This isn't guaranteeing that you're going to be in the Olympics, um, you know, in the next next couple cycles. You just have a bit of an advantage where you have now gotten access to some of this coaching, you know, some of the the pathway, some of the information, you know, some of the expertise of a lot of the people who are involved in the program, and it's your job to take that and continue to develop at wherever program you're at and trying to stay in this pipeline as we uh, as we move forward and i hope that that resonated with the guys because just simply due to the fact of how many players were on this team they all can't make it to that next level already we already know immediately this group's going to be getting cut in half and, and more than that actually um as we go to that next junior age so um yeah i, I think some of the guys that first time they get on the team they're thinking like oh i'm gonna be in the olympics one day it's like yeah mm, probably not you know, like probably not, like maybe, maybe one of you, like if you're lucky, one guy or two guys from this team might play in the Olympics because not only do you have to make that team, the team also has to qualify for the Olympics too, right? And I think sometimes that's what the guys this age, they don't know how long it was with Canada not being in the Olympics, right? They just see the last two Olympics and think that we're there every year. And, uh, you know, the ones who are a bit more experienced and older know how difficult that process actually is as well. Yeah, I don't want to crush anyone's dreams, but the the biggest eye opening I've had recently is we had Brian Duquette on the show, and we were joking that uh, Blair, our, our libero, has fended off all these guys. Where like Duquette and Jeremy Davies and Dre and Eric Matson and all these guys were really like because you need one libero, right? And I know Steve Marshall obviously challenges and fills into that role as well, but uh, 
Yeah, like think about how long Blair's been on the senior team and how many good liberos he's fended off. And don't get me wrong, like other guys have had a great career. They still get to go overseas. You get to play and do all these things. But yeah, if, if you're playing a certain position, there's only so many spots and you have to beat somebody who's better than you who really wants to keep that spot going, right? Yeah, and not only all the guys, like I said, younger than him, he you know, he went in and stole kind of stole that spot. He beat out the guys older than him too, right? And that's that's just unique dynamic of where you're competing as a team, but you're also battling individually to be on the team. And, you know, it's kind of that iron sharpens iron, right? It's guys pushing each other. And that's the hope. The hope is when we get to that four year decision, like it should be hard, right? It shouldn't just be, here's our 12 guys, here's our Olympic team. And, you know, it's an easy decision. There should be difficult cuts. And if there's not, that's probably a bad sign. Like there, there should be somebody left off the list where you're saying, oh man, I can't believe that this guy didn't make it. And I think the cool thing about that, and this happens in sports, I think you just saw it on the uh, the NBA 75, for example, right? Everyone's can't believe this guy wasn't on it, this guy wasn't on it. It's like, okay, great, but who are you taking off? Like Everyone always wants to say, well, this guy should be on. Okay, then give me the two names of who you want removed, right? You're going to go, you know, you're going to make a tweet about, I can't believe this guy wasn't on. Okay, tell me then, put him on, and take somebody off. Right. And that's when you go look at it and you look at the roster and you say, yeah, you're right. I can't take any of those 12 guys off the team. I guess that makes sense why this guy's number 13. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then uh, with you being such a lifelong learner, I'm curious, looking back at the camp, is there anything that you're just going to steal based on a, a, a conversation with a coach or just seeing somebody's style or maybe a certain drill or heck, maybe it was even Brock's footwork as a setter? Was there anything that you just kind of went like, oh, that's pretty sweet. I'm definitely going to try that in my gym. I think the number one thing that has always come from being involved in these programs for me is that um, the validation of what what we're doing back home is similar to what I'm seeing at that level, right? So it might be to maybe a higher expectation or uh, a bit more intense in fashion, but it's kind of validating you know, what, what we're teaching in our gyms when we're back home. Is that the same as what these guys are doing here? Because if not, then we need to probably you know, rethink how we're doing it, right? And um, I think that would be example number one is, is having that confirmation and maybe just tweaking it a little bit to come back and say, if we're letting those athletes who are at the pinnacle of kind of that youth level in our country, um, if their expectation, like maybe I'm setting the bar too high sometimes for our guys, you know, like these guys obviously we have in our club, they might be the same age, but they might not just be to that same level of athleticism, right? That that next guy is. And that's really kind of the major difference, I think. Um, so if, if they have an expectation, I can probably scale mine back a little bit. I'm not going to let them off the hook, but pull it back a bit, knowing that the best players in our country are kind of at that one spot. Um, then the other thing I think is, is that patience piece. Like I think I would tend to be maybe be a little bit harder on the guys sometimes than, than maybe the average coach might be. Um, and you see kind of these guys here at that U sport head coach level, the way that they're interacting with the guys, maybe a bit more patient, a bit more understanding, but a few things. And I think that really helps. Um, and then I think it's kind of the buzzword, obviously. And, you know, you've had Kruger on, but I mean, a lot of the stuff that Matt's presenting and it's, I mean, Hey, it might be this, like I said, everybody's trying to be more involved in it, but the way that you're actually teaching the guys right and the way you're processing this information with the motor learning and i think matt can probably you know he's probably trying to obviously too but he could present every single weekend to every single club in, in the country and try and um teach the coaches on how on how to teach and how to give some feedback and i know we're we're in the works we're trying to plan a few things with him if he can help out with uh with some of our coaches and, and athletes in the new year um but i think that's an area where we have a lot of great coaches and they're really good at the sport and they've been doing it for a long time, but uh, might not be maybe as up to date with, with some of the principles that Matt is uh, presenting. And he gave a great, a great, uh, I had a few slides for the guys and we had a big meeting with everybody. And, and I think a lot of that stuff resonates with the players and the coaches. Nice. Yeah. Really, really good to hear. I think uh, when we had Colin Walker on the show, who's now the coach at Trent and he was talking about his role with the, the youth national team, it is nice, and I bet you a lot of coaches would get that confirmation that what you're doing in your gym is probably on the right path. It just I think sometimes we magnify like, oh, I wonder what the national team's doing. It's probably close to the same level. There might be a couple details here and there, but I think our, our country in general has a lot of good coaches involved, and yeah, they don't need the the magic dust of the national team sometimes to confirm what they're doing, which I think is is a great sign and, and probably a credit to 
all the symposium Canada's had, it seems like every time we do host an international event, whether it's Glenn speaking or Carrie or Shannon or somebody, it seems like coaches are giving back and those ideas are spreading, right? Yeah, I think obviously we need that. I don't think it should be a big secret. I don't think it's sort of, here, here's the first 20 years of your development and then you're going to get to this level and we're going to do it completely different. Right? I don't think that's going to be beneficial to to the athletes or the coaches, right? It's, I mean, if you've played a certain way your whole life and then all of a sudden you're going to get to a spot and they're going to ask you to do something different, that's not good. And if you've been coaching a certain way and then you want to get to that next level and they bring you in and sort of, oh, actually, we don't do that this way here. I think there should be that top-down model of, hey, this is how we want our athletes to look. And I know I've reached out to Kerry in the past and asked him something along the lines of, you know, what, what deficiencies are we seeing at the senior level athletes as far as, not as volleyball player per se, but even just kind of athletically in their development, like where, you know, strength-wise, movement-wise, like are we seeing some things? Can we incorporate those into our into our workouts with like our starting when the athletes are 14, 15 years old in our, in our club? And not necessarily that they're going to get there, um, to that highest level, but just if those guys at that level are deficient, then certainly our guys are going to be as well, right? So can we start incorporating some of those things and uh, just make them a more well-rounded volleyball player and athlete? And um, and he's, you know, a lot of those guys are great for giving that information to you because it only is going to benefit them at the highest level if we start doing it at the base. Awesome. Awesome, man. I feel like we could go on for this, but there was one chunk I wanted to cover that we didn't quite get to in your interview. And it's, if anyone's listened to Sharp Cuts, they, they know this has really just been, you know, just grinding Garrett's gears about, he will argue that volleyball is boring to watch. And I think the commentators have to take their fair share of this, where you watch the NFL, you watch the NHL. I think the commentators have done such a good job explaining what's happening technically, tactically, that as a common fan, you can start to nod your head and you feel pretty smart too about watching the double high safeties or whatever it is going on, where in volleyball, it's like you're almost just commentating what's happening. So I'm curious with you, you've been a guy who's commentated some high-level matches and you've also had fun doing it. So just talk us about like, where did you kind of get your toe in commentating? And then when did you start to get comfortable that you could like start to entertain maybe the audience that was watching these high level matches? Um, one of my biggest passions in life, and it's uh, something that it's, I would say 99% volunteer based. Uh, there's not a lot of opportunity, I would say to be a, as a career. Um, but yeah, being a, a volleyball webcast announcer, I guess, I don't know what the title would be. Um, and it's uh, something that I, I would say started at a young age where I just, I've always gravitated towards great announcers, you know, so whoever, whoever that may be in sport, but, you know, replicating their calls and, um, and I love sports, right? I love all sports. So it could be in, in any, uh, in any format, whether it be, uh, you know, the World Series and, you know, Joe Buck, like a famous call, you know, we'll see you later tonight, right? I mean, I know as a Yankees fan, that might hurt you a little bit. I didn't even think of that when I was saying it. I just had a flashback to my college uh, residence room watching that. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, or, uh, you know, just whoever it may be, um, you know, Chris, Chris Cuthbert, you know, Sidney Crosby, the Golden Bowl, like all those calls. They always just kind of had this this special place, and I thought like that's something I would I would love to do. So whether it be in high school and kind of getting opportunity to grab a mic and and speak in front of some people, like I was always very comfortable in that setting. So I would say like kind of unofficially, it sort of started when I was uh, when I was in university. Uh, some buddies and I we had a Winnipeg Blue Bomber uh, call in fan radio CFL show at uh, Red River College. So I didn't go to Red River. I was at U of M, but Red River College, which is kind of uh, it's the polytechnic here in uh, in Winnipeg. And Wednesday nights from 7 to 8, we had an hour-long show. And when I say call-in fan show, I think that meant our friends and family, basically. We're the only ones uh, who <laughs> listen. But we had Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You know, they'd come on the show with us, right? And we'd sit in studio and we'd discuss uh, the previous game and we kind of do a little preview of the upcoming game. And it was, you know, a once a week thing. And a friend of mine, he was the morning show host on this radio station. So it was 92.9 Kick FM was the station. No longer exists in Winnipeg. And uh, we did that for two years. And that kind of was like a bit of an intro of something that I felt pretty comfortable with. And uh, then when I was at U of M, I was assistant coach for the men's team. And my fifth and final year doing that, the women's team ended up hosting the Canada West Final Four. So this was uh, March of 2008. So going back you know, a little bit, obviously, 
uh, dating myself a little bit here, but uh, myself and the other assistant coach, Dan Gilbert, we were with the men's team and our season was done. We didn't make, uh, didn't make the final four for the men's. And we went to our SID at U of M and we said like, like how does someone have a webcast? Like, how does that work? Like, what do you have to do? Like, what goes into that? How is that possible? And this is before anything existed. And I don't know really where we would have got this idea, but I think probably would have seen something maybe NCAA or some capacity, right? Like it didn't, it didn't exist in Canada basically. And uh, you got to keep in mind, this is when the nationals were on still like TSN used to host the, the nationals, right? For, uh, and back then it was you know, still CIS probably. Uh, the score did it for a couple of years. Like I remember Tim McAuliffe was, was on the call. Like he was, and he was awesome. Tim McAuliffe was great. So he said like, we want to have this game. Like, what do we do? So he says, I'll look into it. And he kind of contacted like a tech company on, on campus at U of M. They kind of looked into it and he got this camera and we got to be the announcers because it was kind of our idea. And we sat up in the press box at U of M and our whole shtick, like from the very beginning was it's two friends, two coaches watching a volleyball game, right? Like we're not, we're not really announcers. I'll be the play by play. Dan will be the color commentator and we are going to, you know, kind of uh, in a way like Tim and Sid a little bit, you know, they kind of have the, like we're going to kind of educate the masses, but in a fun way kind of thing. And we'll, we'll make it so everybody will understand what we're saying, but the volleyball nerd at the same time will get something from us that it's going to go right over the head of the other person, the casual fan. But they won't even they won't even know that it's going over their head, so it's not really going to matter. So we do this, and crazy thing about it, which I'll never forget, is U of M was number one for women, UBC was number two. So they're the top two teams in the country, and the top three teams in Canada West are going to go to nationals. So uh, both U of M and UBC lose their semifinal that night on the Friday night. So they lose to Alberta and Calgary, respectively. So Alberta and Calgary, they're going into the weekend thinking like, wow, this bronze medal game is going to be insane because we're, you know, I'm sure they're not hoping to, I'm sure they're planning on winning their semifinal, but just knowing they have to finish third, right? So now all the pressure is off them. They're in the final. That's going to be the second game of the night. And U of M and UBC are now playing for the bronze and only the winners go to nationals. Fourth place is out. They're not even going to go to nationals. And goes to a fifth set, extra points in the fifth set. And we're super intense. We're cut, we're going through everything. You know, it's like 18, 18 and uh, the match ends. UBC wins 20 to 18. U of M's at home, home court season's over, not going to nationals. Number one team in the country might've been like 19 and one or something like that in conference play, like had a dominant season. So we finish this and there's kind of this lull in the building. And then Justin is the guy from this tech company. He's up there the whole time. He's monitoring everything on the, uh, on the video, and he says, "Guys, amazing, amazing job! You guys were so good, but uh, we, we lost the feed at 14 all. No one, no one out there has any idea what happened." He says, uh, "You guys have just been talking to dead air the whole time, but boy, boy, were you guys into it! It was so exciting. It's like I was loving it. The commentary was amazing, but nobody has any idea what happened." <laughs> and Dan and I are just looking at each other, like, "What? We did this whole thing, the whole climax of this fifth set." He's like, "Yeah, nobody saw it." Nobody has any clue. So he gets the, the feed back up, and there was a live chat feature as well, which you can imagine, you know, anything live chat, like people just go, go crazy. So they get it back up for the final, and everybody in the live chat is like, what happened? Like, who won? Who's going to nationals? What happened in the game? We lost the feed. And the chats are, like, just going boom, 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 boom. So he's monitoring the chat, and he's just typing everything in, like, UBC won and all these people are saying, I can't believe it. Like I was refreshing my computer. I restarted my computer. I was closing the browser. Like everyone thought it was on their end and there was no way to communicate that it was actually us who lost the feed. So that was our first ever foray really into doing this whole volleyball webcast thing. And then that company kind of became the beginning of this, like what is now kind of Canada West TV. So that next year, they kind of started and we did a lot of home games and stuff for U of M for years. And that led into kind of this whole next level of stuff that I've been involved in ever since. But um, yeah, pretty crazy that probably our defining moment as, uh, as webcasters, nobody ever saw it. 
Oh, that's that's amazing. So let us behind the curtain here a little bit, just me and the listeners, because uh, I got a chance to do it when we hosted the Can-Am here in Toronto. And I got to tell you, I was so nervous that I was doing like a lot of prep. And I think some people think you can get on there and wing it. And maybe with your, your confidence, you can do it. Or otherwise, like, how are you trying to learn other people's names? How are you trying to learn maybe like stories going into it so you have something to pull from? Like, because to me, it's not as easy. You just put the headphones on and go. So what was kind of your prep so you were feeling good for the games? So I will, uh, I will tell you an uh, insider secret here. Uh, I am notorious for doing zero prep on these, uh, on these announce, uh, doing these webcasts. And I have always managed to get by, um, on my memory. So it's somewhat of a steel trap. Uh, usually once something goes in and never comes out, uh, which can be for better or for worse. And, you know, we kind of joke about the youth team this summer and like they, the coaches were just, amazed by some of the content of stuff that I could remember. And uh, the names is the one thing. So names is something that I always try to the best that I can uh, get you know, the proper pronunciation for them. And the difficulty is a lot of coaches and this, I don't want to out anybody, but like, I don't think they even know how to say some of the athletes names because uh, some of them are so difficult. And you go down kind of before the match. And I, I always, like I said, I'd like to get there a little bit early. I want to get the starting lineups. I want to talk to the coach a little bit, you know, kind of during warm up. And for the most part, you know, pretty friendly with the coaches because they kind of knew who I am. So I kind of sit on the bench and chat about their season and stuff and, and see where things are at. Um, but the names are something that I always want to try and say them properly because their friends and family are out there. They're listening. They're watching. Right. And you don't want to blow it. You don't want them to be watching a five-set match and you continually just badger this name over and over again. But I've been able to skirt by on just what I know about their past as volleyball players, right? And kind of can give enough content about that. And I think because I didn't have this kind of official training, you know, I didn't go to any kind of broadcasting school, right? I didn't go to anything um, to, to do it in that capacity. There's probably a lot that I do wrong because of that um so this ended up fighting me because u of m you know i had been doing their webcast for years for volleyball and they asked me if i wanted to do hockey one time and they're like hey do you want to come do bison hockey it's like oh yeah i love hockey. yeah for sure like i could do hockey i've done volleyball webcasts for years so i get in there and i suck i was awful because i didn't know anything about anyone and i didn't know who they were. So I'm constantly fumbling around looking for my names, you know, looking for their numbers and, uh, volleyball. It's easy. I know who everybody is. I can see their face. I don't need to know what number it is, right? I don't need to look at the program. I just have it memorized. And because of that, it just flows really quickly for me. So when I went to do hockey, it was kind of like, Oh, okay. I see why this is why people do prep because I'm completely lost here. And by the time that I would see something, you know, I'd be looking down, trying to find the name, trying to find the number. The next play had already happened. So I was always way behind and I didn't feel good about it. Like I, I just I gave myself a, a very poor grade if I had to kind of evaluate how I did. Basketball, I've done three of them a little bit easier because I could, again, kind of memorize their face once I got through the beginning and kind of remember where guys were. Um, but that's been the beauty of volleyball for me is I've just always known who everybody is before the game. So I'm going into it with that kind of bank of knowledge about where I've seen them play before, where they're from, kind of that backstory, and I can just build off of that. And with that being said, when I have done the highest, highest level stuff that I've been involved in, I dive into it a little bit more. So I've, you know, I've gone, say if we're at nationals, I've been fortunate enough to do four times for uh, for U Sport Nationals. I've been there four times. I'll go the day before and I'll spend the whole day in the gym talking to the coaches, talking to the players, uh, watching their practice, right, seeing how they look at practice really familiarizing myself with the guys who I may not know, because there's a lot of guys that from different parts of the country, I'm not going to see them, right? Maybe they might not have even played club. It could be from, uh, you know, it could be an international student, whatever it may be, and and getting to know them that way. But like I said, once it goes in, it usually doesn't go out. So I don't have to spend too, too much time remembering who they were. It's just going to be the names, seeing them once or twice, and then uh, then let it roll from there. And that's why I think what makes it fun is it's usually just kind of that freestyling uh, version of what I've always been Friend of the show and Team Canada Beach Volleyball athlete Grant O'Gorman has teamed up with Movember to help raise awareness for testicular cancer and men's health. Check out our show notes to get a link to Grant's page and donate today. Movember, whatever you grow will save a bro. 
Nice, nice. And I think the one thing that all commentators have to be aware of is just like that homer, rep, uh, that, that reputation you can get. So I'm curious when you're at nationals and let's say this probably didn't happen, but I'm just going to make it up. Like, let's say, you know, Laval or McMaster or somebody from Ontario is up 10-4 on Manitoba. And here you are telling anecdotes about all these Manitoba athletes and where they grew up. Like, how do you stay neutral about like, you know, the the people listening also want to hear about their team. So like Dalhousie wants to hear about their players and you're still talking about, you know, I've known Chris Voss since he was four years old and he was doing all this great stuff. It's like, dude, can you talk about the game or talk about my guys a little bit here? Like, how do you try to stay balanced that way? So ironically, when you say this hasn't happened, it has happened. And <laughs> this is what makes things interesting. Uh, so the first time I ever got to do it was 2010. And that was when Nationals were at Thompson Rivers and it was in Kamloops. And U of M was not there. So they didn't qualify that year. So I had kind of been the home U of M announcer, I would say, right? I did a lot of the games over the years. Uh, more often than not, I would be on the call for their games. They didn't make nationals that year in 2010. The final ended up being Calgary over Trinity. So I didn't really have an allegiance to anybody there. You know, knew some of the guys. There might have been some Manitoba-born players spread out through some of those teams and whatnot. Uh, but I really just kind of came at it. I'm here to do the nationals. It was an awesome experience and opportunity. They had way more production than, than what I'd have kind of at home with U of M. It was kind of that next level, right? We actually had producer in my ear. We had some commercials and we kind of throw it to a few different things. So that was a great eye-opening experience. Loved every second of it. Um, a great opportunity. So then 2012, Nationals were at Queens in Kingston. And we were asked to come out, Dan Gilbert and I. So we go out and there was also a second crew of guys who were doing it. So it was uh, Kerry McLean and uh, uh, Thierry were doing that they kind of had a crew we're the crew so they told us like they're going to do some games you guys will do some games but u of m was at that so they said we don't want you doing the u of m game because we don't want people thinking like it's a u of m homer broadcast and i thought okay well i get it like it makes sense but we're not like yes and i get the scope and the optics of it like dan and i had both coached at u of m we were assistant coaches at u of m we had coached in the club program we're from winnipeg we had done the webcast before. Totally get it. But my side of things was like, hey, we also could give the best possible broadcast because we're going to know the most about this team. So we'll do our homework on whoever they're playing. And they were playing Western in that quarterfinal. But we'll make sure that this one team, we'll be bang on with that one team. So we'll like be 100% on that side. And then we'll do our best to match it on the other side. But they said, no, we want to make sure that everything is um, is fair and that kind of equal and stuff. It's like, okay, cool. No problem. We'll do the other games. But then the irony is, like, Thierry, he did the Laval games. We're like, well, what is going on here? Because he's from Laval. And, uh, but, you know, whatever. It, it kind of was, was all good. But we were there. And this is the craziest thing that probably I ever experienced, like, as far as being webcaster. And we got, like, booted out of the gym because uh, – People thought that we were there scouting the other teams, like on behalf of, of U of M. So we get like not forcibly removed, but we kind of have like a couple of people come to us at Queens and they tell us we got to leave because uh, the teams were uncomfortable that we were doing homework for U of M, and which couldn't be further from the truth. Like we were wanting to just do a great job with our with our webcast, so we kind of felt like, oh, that kind of stinks. Like we want to make sure we're doing a great job with this. So we end up getting kind of the like here's the the 11 a.m. consolation game. Like, go have fun. It's like, oh, okay, that's great. Um, so we didn't get to do a lot of the, the kind of the big games um, at that at that level. And ever since then, I haven't really done a lot of U of M games at home. Like, I've just gotten too busy, and, and I'll pop into the odd one here and there. But I think now enough time has been removed that they don't really view us as kind of the, the Homer-style uh, announcers. But I always have tried uh, I guess to circle back to the original question, to not be too biased to who you're doing it for. But at the same time, you are on their webcast, right? So you want to make sure like you're selling it a little bit for them. You don't want to be like, a total downer if the home team wins and you're on their webcast and you're not selling it at all, right? You got to kind of be a little bit like 55, 45 probably, uh, but not to the point where I've listened to some, and I, I don't even know who these guys would be, so I can't call them out. I'm not going to say anybody's name because I don't know them. But where you're using, like, first-name basis, right, with guys, like, you're clearly their friends, and you're clearly referring to the team, and you're clearly just, like, not even necessarily um, commentating anymore. You're just, like, pumped for your voice, you know? And you're just like, oh, like, 
like what a play by what a play by Troy. Like Troy's our guy. You know, and stuff like that. Like you would never hear that on like Jim Nance would never say that, for example. Right? Like you wanna kind of just be excited for the big plays, sell for both teams, uh, make it entertaining, but you do wanna kind of root for the home team a little bit, I guess I would say, uh, if you can. Yeah, like uh, Mike Chumley and I definitely got accused of that. We got to do the Trinity uh, UCLA game and don't, don't get me wrong, I don't even have a dog in that fight, but I just got caught watching and like Trinity got up for that match and like Lepke was doing crazy stuff. He put Elser out there, How, like Epp, like Kern, all these guys and like we, we got accused of being Trinity homers and I was like, I don't even know any of these guys. I'm just really entertained right now and they're serving this guy to trap this play and then they're getting a block over here and they're running pipes in transition. I was like, I, I was just actually entertained. I wasn't trying to be a super fan, but sometimes it just comes out that way, right? Yeah, I think you just get into the match, right? And you get you get pretty excited. And I know that, uh, for example, like I said, I've done it four times. The two times uh, I went to Mac, right? So the last two times I've been at Mac, and UBC won a couple of years ago, and and I sold it pretty good. You know, I was pretty excited when when they won because it was a a great finish to the match, right? Um, and they beat they beat Trinity Western in that final, which was a, a big interprovincial rivalry, right? And the dynamics between those two teams. But if you rewind to a couple of years before when Trinity beat McMaster, I sold it just as hard for Trinity, right? Like it's it's the team who won. You should be excited. It's a national championship. As an announcer, you want the fans and the viewers to be just as into the moment because they're not there. They're not in the building. Um, you want them to feel that that energy and the excitement of what came from from that moment when, when you're actually sitting courtside. And that's what I loved about um, doing it at Mac was I was right on the court. You know, I was sitting right there i could hear the coach like this in the timeouts right i could see i had that view of being right on the court and you could see the ball it's not like you're up in a booth somewhere where you're way far away from everything that's going on so you know was was i uh selling it for ubc when they won absolutely but to the same level that i was when when mac uh or when trinity beat mac a couple years prior right and same as i would have been if mcmaster won that game whatever it may be um the one difference was that one year at Mac, it was the rise of the uh, the Pupusalas, I guess. So there was uh, kind of all the noise and everything. And you had to be, like, you had to match the level of the crowd. Otherwise, you just would have been drowned right out and nobody would have ever heard anything on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, those were two really fun years. Those were, those were probably my two favorite was going to Mac just because uh, the crowd was so great and, and the tournament itself was, uh, was so exciting. And you said you get swept up. And if you're a volleyball person, like, still... I'm sitting there, but I'm sitting there as a coach with a microphone in my face, right? Like, I think you, you probably have that same idea where you're watching it as a volleyball person, not necessarily, per se, as a, as a volleyball announcer. Yeah, and sometimes, the, this is going to be my next question, I take it too far where Garrett has no problem being this and, and being, you know, decisive and deliberate with what he's saying, where I have trouble burying guys, even if they're, like, minus 700 and just in the tank. I have trouble doing that, and I'm curious with you, again, knowing these athletes, and even... You know, you, you've coached and known Garth for so long that you're probably commentating his kids playing. And if they're having a bad game, can you actually say like, you know what, so and so is just not having a good day, and that's their third straight air or something? Because I have, I always way too sugarcoat it. Where Garrett's like, no, you can't sugarcoat it. If they, that's their third air in a row, and they need to be subbed off. You need to comment on that stuff. Uh, that's a that's a really good question, and I think because you come from that circle where you're maybe maybe you're friends with people, right? You're you've previously coached them, you know, whatever it may be. I think everyone assumes you're going to say great things, right? And I think I've received messages over the years where it's like, hey, make sure you give me a shout-out tonight on, uh, on the webcast. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, I'll do what I can and, you know, try to... But, I mean, realistically, like, if you're buried on the bench, like, it's going to be hard for me to uh, bring up a point about you. Like, oh, here's so-and-so. And, and I laugh because uh, Vic Lindell, I don't know if you remember when Vic used to do the, um, the webcast, well, not the webcast, like the actual broadcast. He was kind of the, the color commentating legend, you know, on TSN for years. He would always find a way to reference guys like that he knew, you know, and that was kind of like the inside joke. And um, I won't go to that level, but in the beginning, I think I was hesitant because you don't want to offend anybody, right? You don't want to, you don't want to say anything and them get mad at you after. But after a couple of years of doing it, you just realize, like, hey, I'm just, I'm just announcing the game. Like, there's nothing that, nothing's personal about it, right? I'm not, I'm not saying you're a bad player. I'm not saying you're a bad coach. But if you watch any broadcast of any sport there's critical thinking from the announcers right because they're trying to bring in that same critical thinking to the fan they want you to have that same experience and i actually i got in trouble i did the manitoba high school final 
one year and it was on like cable access TV, you know, like Shaw Channel 11, free channel that everybody gets at home. And it was a big deal to be in that game, right? So if you were in the high school final in Manitoba, that was a big deal. And then to be the announcer for it was kind of cool to be part of that experience. And the referee that night, he had a tough night. You know, as, as athletes and coaches do, he had a tough night. And he missed two calls that were blatant, bad calls. You know, they were just misses. And they're showing the replay. Like, the truck is setting up the replay. Here's here's that miss. You know, he called he called no touch. And you can see the guy jumping in the back row to try to dig a ball. And it goes off his hands to the back wall. And they're queuing up that replay for you. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to talk about it, right? You, you can't ignore it. Like, the fans are seeing. You just got to say, hey, this is this is the call. And then, you know, there was one that had something to do with the aerial. And same thing. There's a call, and they show the replay. Um, so, you know, you, you, you analyze what you see. Like, that's all you can really do when, when you're in the booth. And the next morning, I get, like, a call from Bible Manitoba. And the, the referee association, and people are calling me, like, concerned that I was burying this ref. I'm like, I wasn't burying anyone. Like, if, if you want to have who's getting buried, it's the guy in the truck who's sending me the replays, right, that I'm commenting on. I'm not the one saying, yeah, I'm saying what I saw, but I'm not saying the guy's a bad ref. He's never ref ever again. I'm just saying he missed the call, you know? And I think that's when, because I'm so involved in the volleyball scene, people think that I have this personal vendetta against that ref. I know the ref. He's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's a good ref. He just missed two calls, right? And that's that's the thing. It'd be no different than than a player having an off night or a coach having an off night for that matter, right? If the coach, hey, I think you you made a mistake when you took that guy off, or you, you made this lineup, or you called a timeout at a bad time, or you didn't call a timeout. Like I think we're allowed to do that. And if uh, if you don't agree with it, right? You don't have to, but it's just my opinion based on, on why I'm there. I'd say this is why they pay me the big bucks, but you don't get paid. It's just for fun. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's why they asked me here, I guess, is to make it interesting and, and try to create some of that thought for whoever's watching at home when they're watching uh, on their own. Nice. Yeah, well said. That, that's definitely, I, I hope I get to commentate in the, in the future, but I, I find that as a struggle because you're right. You're not, your goal is not to embarrass anybody, but you still have to commentate what's happening and there's going to be critical things happen. But uh, yeah, just something to get used to. But uh, one thing that I thought was exciting, uh, I met you on a busy day. I'm glad you took the time to do this. Your Cowboys are about to play. But the other exciting thing is you're going to be in the gym this afternoon and you guys got fall camps happening. So uh, how excited are you to get the two or four group back together and just be back in the gym with, with your club and around your coaches and just kind of building towards everything you got going there you know josh it's uh it's so exciting to be back and i think uh you take things for granted sometimes obviously in this last i don't even know what is it now 20 months 21 months however long we've been kind of going through all this um where just something as simple as having a sunday camp you know and something as simple as now the athletes in manitoba not having to they don't have to wear a mask when they're participating right and it's kind of like these little simple things that uh, never would have even thought about two years ago, but just the fact that they can get back together in the gyms. We have these two-hour sessions on Sundays for our athletes to get together, and you know they're obviously all playing school. And that's the big difference this year from last year was we did some ball camp stuff last year out of necessity because there was no high school volleyball in Manitoba at all, and we couldn't go that long without them touching the ball. Right, so we put some stuff together. We ran a four-on-four league. We tried to get creative. We only have eight kids on the court. You know, we put all this stuff together. We did three weeks of it, and then we got shut down from you know, the end of October until until middle of March, right? We had nothing. So this year is a little bit different as far as they're playing. You know, they're allowed to play league. There's some tournaments, maybe some modified formats a little bit about how many games they're playing in a day and how many teams they're playing against and whatnot. So we're back now to just sort of this is supplementary to what uh, they're getting uh, at their schools as well, right? So it's kind of whoever wants to come out on Sundays can come, and um, you know, it's just nice to kind of have that. We're there thinking about playing club again. We'll try out through in December. We'll start practicing in January. You know, kind of that carrot of nationals are in Edmonton. Hopefully everything's a go. Hopefully fans can out and watch. I'm getting back to what you know, we used to kind of view as, as normal things. And that's across the country, right? Coast to coast. Everybody's in that same boat. And, you know, for a lot of people, like I, I saw I, some parents, for example, I did the, the webcast for U of W and U of M on Thursday night. Right. And some parents of some of the kids who used to play for 204. And these are people who you in a normal year, you'd see, you know, a couple times a year. It's not like they're not your best friends, but it's people that, you know, and people that you cross paths with through volleyball. Well, with no volleyball for that long stretch of time, you just don't see those people. 
right? Like you, you, you don't, you don't cross paths with them and, uh, you know, everybody coming up to you and telling you like, Oh, I haven't seen you forever. And you catch up with all these people and you forget how many people you know that aren't necessarily in that inner circle of your friends and family, right? It's just kind of that next level group of people. So it was nice to be back. Like I said, Thursday, uh, being in the gym, watching the university game, you know, doing the webcast for it, having fans there, like, and that's something that's, that's normal. That's normal life, right? It's not like, it's not really a luxury, but it seems now like it is something that we're excited about. So the same thing on the camps, right? Those kids show up, they're always excited. We have, uh, all age groups, grade six, all the way up to grade 12, all at one time. We've got three courts, you know, we've got coaches moving around everywhere, um, teaching these guys a few things that are kind of hopefully complementary to what they're going through in their school seasons. And, you know, I think playoffs are starting up here in Manitoba pretty soon, like this week, getting into provincials. And then before we know it, club trials will, uh, will be coming up in, in December. So, um, you know, Sundays is, is a great day for it. It's kind of like that day where they're not really doing anything for school. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes uh, might mess with the NFL uh, doing a little bit, but, uh, you know, hopefully the Cowboys take care of business in the first half today against, uh, against Denver. And then, um, you know, we'll see how things go from there. And, and, you know, our other big main coach, Dan Loper, he's a big Rams guy. So he's, he's having a good season too, you know, um, but uh, usually West Coast, they might play a little later in the day. And tonight, you know, I think they're actually, uh, yeah, they're playing later. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the kids are always excited to be there. We're always excited to see them. And, uh, you know, it's just fun being back uh, kind of officially with, uh, with, with the club of 204. Well, that's so cool, man. It's good to, to catch up with you. And I feel like we still haven't got to everything. I feel like you still got some more stories. So maybe you'll be the first. You can separate from super best friend Ben Saxon. You could be the, the four-time guy. But uh, for now, we'll, we'll call it there. But thanks for sharing all that you did and those stories. It, it was great to catch up with you, like I said. Yeah, you know, Josh, I think uh, when you kind of mentioned that, the, the challenge here would be we got to find some sort of venue or format where we, we could do a webcast together. That would be, uh, that'd be <laughs> interesting. I think uh, kind of combine into... Uh, you know, we, I've had some great partners over the years you know, doing uh, doing webcasts, and uh, I think it'd be would be kind of cool if we could we could do something uh, in some capacity one day. I know nationals uh, are at U of M in March, and uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with what happened, but in March 2020, we were supposed to do it, right? And we started up uh, our own Instagram account. We had a little social media following. Actually, Adam Junker and I were supposed to do it together. We were uh, two guys, one booth. We had a nice, uh, quick, quick following. Uh, did some, did some videos and stuff beforehand. Got people excited, and then obviously, the day before all things uh, started, um, everything got shut down. So we had uh, planned on doing it again this upcoming year, March 2020. But I think now uh, the Nationals are going to be on CBC, which is super exciting for uh, for volleyball fans in the country. But I don't know where that leaves uh, leaves our lowly uh, amateur webcasters at. So if, if we're going to get the call for uh, for CBC, but you find you find the venue, you find the time. Uh, maybe the two of us can do a game together someday. I would love that. We can definitely make that happen. And, and if CBC, if you're listening, give us a shot. We'll do it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> can't it's got to be good, right? I mean, it can't it can't be that bad. We've done it enough times. Uh, put us on the grand grand stage and see what we can uh, we can do together. <laughs> oh, that'd be great, man. Well, for today, good luck. Uh, Good luck cheering on your Cowboys and then getting back in the gym. Definitely some exciting stuff. You're an easy guy to root for. And thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always great to be a part of it. And uh, hopefully, like I said, we'll get that fourth uh, official, maybe fifth unofficial time. We'll see if we can get another group one. Maybe there'll be a group of people that's I think people will always enjoy those ones.